2022 is right around the corner. And when you get there, you're going to start looking and slowing down in January and trying to figure out what can we do in 2022 to be more efficient, to be more profitable, to bring a better quality product to our guests. And I'll tell you right now, Erin Moso and her team over at Sharpier's Bakery want to be your solution for fresh baked bread every single day. They're delivering six days a week to restaurants all over the city of Nashville like they've done for 35 years. They are your local solution for your bakery needs inside your restaurant. Check them out at sharpies.com. That's C-H-A-R-P-I-E-R-S.com. They have over 200 types of bread that they make. Give them a call, 615-319-6453. You're asking for Erin Moso. She's the owner. Her father started the company 35 years ago, and she is taking on. It's a family-owned local business. And in 2022, it's your time. It is your time to start using local bakery, Sharpies. And Sharpies wants me to tell you that all of their local, all of their loyal customers, thank you for a wonderful 2021 And they cannot wait to serve you again in 2022. Welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio, the tastiest hour of talk in Music City. Now here's your host, Brandon Still. Hello, Music City. Welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. My name is Brandon Still, and I am your host. Today, I am joined with our co-host, Miss Jen Ichikawa. How's it going, Jen? Hi, good. How are you? Fantastic. So this has been an episode I've been wanting to do for a really long time. Okay. We are talking today to the executive chef at the Cat Bird Seat. Many people say Nashville Scene says best of Nashville, best of Nashville, best restaurant in the city. We, um, that was a fun, it's a, this is a fun talk. I enjoyed getting to know him. Yeah. He's super pleasant. Like he's just a very nice person. Yeah. I can tell Like he's, he's just, he's, you said that he kind of reminds you of Josh Habiger and I kind of see that he's just kind of, I said, Josh was gentle was the <laughs> word. I'm like, I don't know if you should describe another man as being gentle, uh, like but that. he was just, so, you know, he's not like me. He said, hey, let me tell you, but he's not gregarious. He's just kind of humble, you know? Yeah, well, he has that, like, quiet confidence, which I, I just really like. Gen- and people, and all people, I just like that a lot. Which is surprising that you like me, because I <laughs> I can't spell quiet confidence. Neither can my husband, who I'm married. So okay, well, <laughs> apparently it's just something I like in others and don't seek out in my like, intimate partnerships and work partnerships. I don't know. Well, in this interview, we talk about his early days, where he grew up, where he went to school. Um, he was a football player, kind of his competitive nature, going through where some of the restaurants he worked. And then we get into all the details of the actual catbird seat. Talk about his holiday traditions, all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah, and his hobby, which was a surprise. Yeah, well, well that's a good little tease. I like it. <laughs> Definitely awesome. And um, just to let you guys know out there, we will not be having, and this is the last episode of 2021, the last live interview coming at you in 2022 with some new stuff, some new ideas, and a little bit of a different show. So we'll still have these episodes, but then there's going to be some uh, mix and match, some fun stuff coming on. Yep. We're excited. 
Yes. <laughs> so tomorrow is Giving Tuesday. I mentioned this at the end of the episode. Tomorrow is Giving Tuesday. We would love for you to get out there and support some of these local charities. The Big Table Nashville is new to town. They were on our show a couple weeks ago. Amazing people helping people in the hospitality community. The Giving Kitchen is another one. The Giving Kitchen Nashville is helping workers who've had accidents, who need help. Again, look them up, go to their website, donate to them. CORE, Children of Restaurant Employees, is another great one that you can donate to. And then La Dame Escoffier is doing a huge push. So if you want to support women in the hospitality industry, uh, that is what they are doing at La Dame Escoffier. We are uh, big fans of theirs, and we make donations to them uh, every time that they do a show with us. So we we give them our sponsor money. So if you want to make a donation to one of those, you don't, you don't want to do the hassle. You don't want to look it up. Feel free to go to our Venmo at Nashville RR and make whatever kind of donation. Just put in the what it's for box, which charity that you want, one of those four, and I will be happy to make the donation for you. Um, we are going to hopefully get people that just want to help out on Giving Tuesday. It's a big deal. And we hope that you uh, you give locally and to the people in this industry who need it so, so much. Mm-hmm. So that being said, last episode of the uh, year. This will we'll, we'll note do, to end on. I'll do intros. So you'll, we'll keep up. We're going to do four episodes throughout December, but they're going to be Wednesday rewinds. We'll do a, kind of a best of shows here and there. So you get to hear a little bit of new intro type stuff. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah there you go um i guess we could talk about our sponsor for this last episode right here go for it because in the show he talks about um he goes i've had a cold i'm not feeling well and what you need to do complete health partners is a local company and they have three urgent care facilities right here in town right so if you have a cold you don't know if you have the flu whatever it might be you need to go to the doctor and find out if you're contagious if you have covid whatever the cases may be You just go there. You do that. There's lots of urgent cares. What they offer to restaurants, starting at $50 per employee. So if your restaurant only has 10 employees and you really need, you want to offer them some way to go to the doctor, there's no co-pays. You can send them to an urgent care today. Get them checked out. It's unlimited visits. I think it starts at $50 an employee, which is really, really amazing. And if you need to have your whole staff vaccinated, they will come to you and do that. If you need to have your whole staff tested, they have discounts for that. They've got drive-ups. They're just amazing, amazing people, and they're local. So if you can't afford major medical, this is a great opportunity for you uh, with Complete Health Partners. What you need to do is you need to go to our website, NashvilleRestaurantRadio.com, click the Sponsors tab, and scroll down and find Complete Health Partners. Click that link, and it will take you directly to um, the people you need to get set up for Complete Health Partners online. Um so again, going into the new year, we need new employees. You want to retain people. This is a great benefit to offer people. They can go anytime they need to a local doctor. Um, again, thank you guys for listening. Enjoy the show with Brian Baxter. Super excited today to welcome in Brian Baxter, who is the executive chef at the Capard Seat. Chef, welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. Thank you for having me. So this is exciting. I went out on, I've wanted to have you on the show for a long time because obviously the catbird seat is, in my opinion, I think a lot of people in the nation, the best restaurant in the city. And um, you took it over right in the middle of a pandemic. 
you've been absolutely killing it. You've done some amazing collaborations. And I've just wanted to learn all about you. And you are going to be taking us out of 2021, our last live interview of 2021. So again, thanks for being here. Yeah, of course. A lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. <laughs> yes. So Brian, tell me a little bit about yourself. I I know that you were here in town and that you worked um, with Josh Habiger over at Bastion. I know you spent some time in Charleston working with Sean Brock. Uh, I know you came back to Nashville. You're here. You worked at a place called Cold Beer. Yeah. And that, where was that, in Atlanta? Atlanta. Yeah, with uh, Kevin Gillespie. Kevin Gillespie, that's right. What did you do? Like, where did you grow up? So I'm from St. Pete, Florida, originally. Grew up near the beach. Um, played football for a long time. What position? Years. Middle linebacker, fullback. What high school did you go to? I, I grew up in Tampa. What's your um, private school? Uh, Keswick? Yeah, I'm familiar with it because that's, I mean, St. Pete and Tampa are obviously yeah. neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. We're t- we had a we had a woman on the show a couple weeks ago who said she's from Southern California, and I said, "Yeah, I am too." Originally, we went to the same elementary school. Oh, uh, cool! So yeah. I thought we were going to have that moment there with you and when no, St. Pete in Tampa, it's like it's far enough away where that would have one of our commutes would have been real long, but, <laughs> but they are like definitely neighbors. Big Tampa sports fans, so I give a shout out to the the champs. Right hey, now. you got the goat, man, and he produced. Well, you're a big lightning fan too, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't I didn't realize we like won all of that until somebody I was in Florida and somebody was like, Yeah, we won a bunch of stuff. I'm like, Oh, I guess yeah. I should root for the hometown team. <laughs> we had a projector upstairs, we were watching playoff games. You know when we first reopened and they started up the hockey season, just watching playoff games during prep, kind of projecting up the wall. That was fun. <laughs> So when you were little, because I've said this to some of uh, the staff here because the lightning is now good, but I think we're close in age. And when I was growing up, they weren't and neither were the Rays. And so they would put like, if you made honor roll, they would put like tickets <laughs> in your honor roll thing so that you they would just have somebody in the stadium. Like, I don't care if it's all fifth graders, like get them in the stadium. Yeah, I think my, you know, kind of like that stretch of my, when I was in high school, the lightning were good. Um, but it was a lot harder, you know, they won their first cup in 2002 or three mm-hmm. or 2004, whatever it was. Um, but when, you know, when I went off to college, it, it was a lot harder to watch sporting events then. So yeah, I at working as much. I didn't really get to, you know, watch them as much as I wanted. Sure. Good. I would have. I would have zero idea what they gave away to honor roll students because I never was on the honor roll. No clue. They could have given anything. I definitely was. But also, this is the longest sports conversation I think I've ever had in my life. Like, this is – you've now officially tapped out, like, all of my sports knowledge. Where did you go to college, Chef? I went to – well, my freshman year, I went to West Virginia Tech. I played football. Um, I knew I wanted to cook. It's kind of what I knew since probably sophomore year of high school. Um, what was it well, in the sophomore year? What was it that made you know that? Well, I was watching a lot of Emerald Live when I was supposed to be doing homework, which is why I wasn't on the honor roll. Um, and then, you know, 
a lot of the original Iron Chef, you know, late night, Friday, Saturday. Uh, so then I started kind of like trying to make these Emerald live recipes, you know, on uh, foodnetworktv.com or foodtv.com or whatever. I had no idea what I was doing before. Who's like, your favorite Iron Chef? Uh, Hiroyuki Sakai. Hiroyuki Sakai? You're talking about the original. You're not talking about like Bobby Flay and those guys, the, are you? Yeah. Iron Chef. <coughs> Excuse me. I loved watching that show too. I love, I guess, I think the one I watched was the new iteration with Alton Brown was like my hero. He okay. was like the guy I wanted to be. I was like, Alton, forget the guy's cooking. I wanted to be like the nerd that knew everything about it all. Which is probably why I'm talking to chefs. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, so when I you know, left, when I quit playing football, I eventually got up to the Culinary Institute of America. So that's where I ended up graduating from. Um, that was the Hyde Park thing. That's in New York. So I think that that's the question that I like to ask most people. Do you think that as a chef today in 2021, do you need to go to culinary school? I think it depends on the person. Obviously, there's so much information that you're going to learn probably your entire career. Some people have the drive and the passion that they can they can retain it. You know, you can read it, you can learn it. But the, the only way to really learn it is by doing it. I think the repetition that you get in culinary school, you know, like a lot of places probably don't do traditional classic sauces anymore, but they use those, they do a bunch of derivatives, right? So like the, the mother sauces, they're still the foundation. If you don't know how to, how to make them properly, then you, know, you can't really make a proper sauce. So um, I think dashi is kind of added into that now, you know, it's not a French sauce, but we we use dashi a lot. Um, but I would say everything like that I do, for the most part, has some kind of foundation in classic French cooking. Uh, and I, for me, the repetition, you know, I wanted to get a degree from my parents. I wanted to go to college. Um, I wanted to live in New York. So that's kind of why I ended up there. And I don't regret doing it. Um, how expensive it is is kind of the negative. You know, like if somebody doesn't have the money to do it, um, you know, I was fortunate enough that my grandmother's co-signed on my loans, so I could go to school. Um, so I owe a lot to them, but, you know, I, I think if somebody has the right drive and can find the right restaurant and the right chef to work under, you can learn everything you need to. Um, I was just going to say that. On the right, it's got to be the right spot, and they got to know they're going to start at the very bottom, and it's a long, very long road to you know what culinary schools might tell you your career you're not going to come out and be a chef in culinary school right away you know so right so you're not you're not hiring people to come work at the catbird seat who are that don't have experience right i mean yeah. when you hire somebody and they say i went to cia and then i worked for all these people do those two things balance each other out because one of the things i think that you you just kind of intimate is that you've got to have the fundamentals. Sometimes there are fundamentals, knowing what the mother sauces are, knowing knife skills, knowing how to do all of those things are kind of the basics. And if you yeah. do those things really well, I think you can expand on those. Then you can start adding your own personal flair to them. But if you never do that, you got to work for some people who really have the heart of a teacher who are willing to have the patience to, to teach right. you that stuff. 
but that's not what you're doing at the catbird seat. You're hiring people who have those. Can you tell when somebody's gone to school or haven't gone to school? I don't know. Well, you know, I had well, I, I did hire a girl uh, that was prepping for us. Um, she didn't have any experience, but she, you know, prepped for us for a long time. You know, so I think if they have the right attitude, it's okay in a prep position because honestly, it sucks, but it's a lot of like you're juicing, you're, you're juicing every fruit and vegetable that's coming in, and that's all you're doing for the next 10 hours, four or five minutes, right? So, wow. Um, but that's also like old school. My husband is Japanese, and you know, his mom taught me how to make white rice, and she was like, I mean, this, I can't teach you this in an afternoon. Like this would be, I mean, they spend literally sushi chefs spend, spend years just uh, doing rice. Europe. Yeah. I mean, in Europe, it's more of like that apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. you know, you, so like, if you're not going to school, try to be an apprentice. And I think that's the disconnect. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know someone, you know, I've never worked overseas. And I don't know if it's still like, like that, but I feel like that's the disconnect with like, young American folks. They just want yeah. to be the star and they don't want to put the work in. That could just be a generational thing like that. I don't really know. But, um, you know, it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. And I'm still learning stuff every day. I wonder how much of it is generational and nationalism, right? Like the idea of Americans versus Europeans versus Japanese and Chinese and all that. Because the thing here that I think a lot of other countries don't, and I'm, listen, I am the biggest reality TV fan you could talk to, like truly. I love reality TV. Um, I'm a Housewives fanatic. But that being said, like that's such a thing here. Like celebrity chefs are a thing here. And I don't, like that's not, it's not to the caliber that it is in other countries. And I think the idea of celebrity in any sense just pay, plays so much into what the cooking world has turned into. Like Brandon has said on here and has said in, in lineups and all the time, like we are not trying to be a James Beard award-winning restaurant. My husband and I own a restaurant. We're also not, we are just trying to Make give food. great service and good food and all that. But I think, and not to knock like James Beard, obviously, or any of that, but I think the idea of celebrity is so present, like in American culture specifically that everyone's trying to be noticed in a way. And so you get like Rachel Ray just did an episode of armchair expert, which is my podcast. I listen to all the time. And she says she will not call herself a chef. She's like, nope, I'm a home I'm a cook. cook. Yeah, she will not use the word chef, which I have a lot of respect for because I think there is a delineation in that. I'm neither. I can't home cook or you don't put me in a kitchen. But that being said, like, I like that she's like, no, the chef has this like respect level and it's not a celebrity level. It's just a respect level versus, yeah, I'm a great cook, but I'm a cook. Right. I don't have a question there. Just a point. I was like, <laughs> well, you know, when you meet like these chefs overseas, there, there's a, or no, you know, maybe not all of them, but you know, I was fortunate enough to go to Matt a few years ago with uh, Morgan McGlone, who was the old chef at Husk. Um, we did a luncheon, uh, and you know, you meet like Renee and uh, all, you know, Christian Figlusi and Matt Orlando, all these, they're just like the most humble dudes you'll ever meet. It's not like they think they're better than anyone. You know, they'll come up and start talking. They don't really care who you are. They don't think they're better than you. You're not lower than them. You know, so 
I think here you still have kind of this, like you said, celebrity chefs, but you're a celebrity, you're, you're a rock star, you're, you know, athletes. Like, mm-hmm. They're still people. Still just people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if Tom Brady came in, like, yeah, I'd probably like, you know, be a little nervous and geek out or whatever because I played football for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, even with like certain chefs come in, it's like, yeah, well, I can't really cook with or you're, you know, it's kind of the interaction you have with that other person. Like, are they still humble or do they think they're more than flesh and bone? Right. So being at the Cabaret do you have a lot of celebrities? Obviously, this is you're the, the cream of the crop of dining in Nashville. I'm sure that you get a ton of celebrities in it. Does, do you ever, you said Tom Brady, you would be like, oh my gosh. Do you ever get starstruck? Um, trying to think. It depends. I don't, you know, sometimes it's just like, you know, maybe I would say yes and oh, no. Come on, you can name drop. Well, like, you know, Carrie Underwood, like, she's pretty shy. So, like, so kind of like, I don't know. She was, you'd be like, oh, man, it's Carrie. Like, you go talk to her, like, it's Carrie Underwood. But then, like, after the first interaction, it's like that first hit in football, like, Oh yeah, that's just, just yeah. Let's go. A person that just wants to eat and not really talk to. Anybody. So, you know, we don't really bug anybody. I think the only time I bugged anyone was uh, Archie Manning. I got a, I had him sign a football for my son. So, that's awesome. Do you ever have like, you know, when I had Josh on the show, we were really talking about the idea for the catbird seat and it stemming from being the general manager of Patterson House, making cocktails and watching what people did with the cocktail once he made it. Identify, they took the garnish off, or they took a picture, or they took a sip, or whatever they did. And he said, I don't want to do that with the food. And the capper seat, and the chef, I'm right there, and I'm setting the food in front of somebody. Do you ever get people that just don't like it? They're like, uh, what is this? Or that don't eat it? Does that ever like offend you? Or is that just a that's um, part of it? <clears throat> it doesn't offend me. I mean, I, you know, taste is uh, all subjective, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe somebody, I don't like curly parsley and I don't like when people just throw pomegranate seeds on a dish for texture. Hate it. So two of my least favorite ingredients. Parsley, curly parsley, because it was like a garnish at Bob Evans when I was a kid and I didn't like it. <laughs> Sizzler. And uh, you know, pomegranate seeds just because I don't want to you know, I think it's just a lazy way to add color and texture to a salad or like a fried inch or something. But uh, or a place that thinks they're fancy because they, you know, put pomegranate seeds. Not that I dislike being greedy. We've been fortunate enough, like if somebody's not really liking something, like you can suggest, because you can see it, you're right there. Yeah. Sometimes people don't like something and you know it's good and then they'll offend you. I think the thing that's most upsetting is somebody says they have an allergy, especially like gluten, where you, you take you take extra time to create a separate dish for these people and then they sit there and eat off of their partner's plate. So yeah, there's gluten in it. They're like, oh, it's okay. All right, then why do we, you know, why do we create a special plate for you? 60, 70 hours a week doing this. Yeah, I just got into like a Facebook argument with somebody about that because I have like deadly allergies. And the woman, it was for the restaurant we own. And she's like, oh, yeah, you guys didn't care about the gluten free or whatever. And I'm like, that's odd because we're usually pretty good about that. And it's a Japanese style, it's Japanese and Korean. Like it's Mm -hmm. pretty doable, you know? 
And she's like, well, it's not an allergy. It's just a dislike, but you should put just as much effort into that. And then I had to walk away because I'm like, mm, I'm going to get rude. And I don't need to put as much effort into that. Like, I do you not. Needed a restaurant that specialized in, you know. Like, yeah. There's plenty of places here where you can go get food. Like, we do it. I'm not saying we don't. It's when, right. you know, you put the extra effort in and then it's like, it's not a real allergy. So we, we've kind, yeah. of, kind of not knocked off some allergies, stop taking certain restrictions, especially for our 18 course menu. It's so much work. It'd be nice for this five extra courses and you have to do four separate versions of it because all these people. Well, I know when allergy. I came in for Bastion. But then they get upset. Like, why didn't I get this? Because you said you were allergic. Well, I'm right. not. Like, well, sorry, I prepped all these dishes without fish in it. You're not getting fish. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I had dinner at Bastion, like, like we said before you we were on air, you were working there at the time. And um, Josh... I've known Josh since I moved to Nashville. So I've known him eight and a half years now and I've had the same allergies forever. They, like I said, they're, they are deadly. And so he took the menu and like crossed off what I couldn't eat, which was great, but we ordered everything because my husband is Asian and does love fish and all that. And so, um, but you guys did a really good job with it and then made me a couple of the dishes allergy free, which I was so grateful for. Cause especially restaurants like never had catbird because I'm scared to go in with all my allergies. I feel so bad about it, but Bastion too. And like fancy places, I always feel bad about. Um, but I'm so appreciative when everyone will do it. Cause it's like, you want to go there for the experience and taste everything. I just can't. So when I, when anybody takes that like extra time to make sure I can, it, I, it's so cool. I think so most can I? Oh, go ahead. appreciate it. Sorry. Uh, most no. people, they're very appreciative. And mm -hmm. Thank you so much for accommodating. You know. But there's like, like the boy who cried wolf. There's always that one, one person yeah. in like a month that really makes you just want to be like some of these other restaurants, like top restaurants in the world. They're like, yeah, we don't accommodate allergies. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think it's interesting just to let people know, like when you say it's an allergy, an allergy is something that is way different than a dislike. Like I don't like tomatoes in November. <laughs> like I don't, there's a the thing, like I don't like that. I don't say I'm allergic to it. If you say I'm allergic to it, that means zero cross contamination i have to use all new utensils for every single thing i can't use i have to clean a certain section of my grill like every single thing can have no part of it because jen you're allergic to seafood and if you eat anything you're going to go into anaphylaxis and we can't have that i mean it's a massive process yeah. for people that have an actual allergy and you got to take it seriously because i don't want dying in the restaurant we admit if it's a oh i don't like it but you use the word allergy we gotta we gotta we gotta do better yeah i agree yeah um, i don't know if that's you know i i really wonder what it's like around the world i feel like it's just a an american thing yeah i do think that's some like american stuff as well um but i you know you have a young kid as well right you have a young son i have a two and a half year old boy and a nine month old girl oh congratulations congratulations um i have there'll be 11 months next week they're twins awesome. and so you probably know too like this whole not to get into the baby world too much but like my mom is staying with us to help with the kids because it's a lot mm -hmm. and the whole idea of like baby led weaning is new right where they try new foods and they try new textures and you're supposed to now give them foods that have high allergen rates right. so that they are less likely to be allergic to them going forward and so I remember like, because I do have so many allergies, my husband doesn't have any, I was like so paranoid with the kids. And I was like, oh my God, I can't give them peanut butter. I can't give them 
all, all this stuff. And like, you have to, so I wonder too, how much of that is like going to be generational of like, can't do gluten free. Can't, you know what I mean? Just based on like the parents diet and what they end up feeding the kids. And are they actually allergic or things like that? Cause if they're not exposed to it, then of course they're going to develop an intolerance to it. It's like, you know, so I just wonder how much that's going to change. Yeah. Very well, May. So let's get, let's get back. We were talking about culinary school and I asked you a question. I said, do you think it's important? We got off on a bunch of rabbit holes. <laughs> let's get back to that. After you went to culinary school, did you go stage anywhere? Did you go work at Nomo? Or did you go with Renee and do all that? Or did you, uh, well, what was I, your post? Like, if I had known me, I would have been in Europe probably, you know, the next day. Um, I also got married to my ex-wife really young i was 20. um wow that's really young <clears throat> so i worked uh for a chef named waldy maloot for six months where i did my externship it was at a restaurant called beacon in new york uh and then we moved back to florida um i worked technically for Todd english but at the swan and dolphin resort which is down near disney um at a restaurant called blue zoo which is a seafood restaurant down there during that time, I would go stage at uh, Norman Van Aken at a restaurant in the Ritz there. So I would go stage there every once in a while just to kind of like see how like other restaurants do stuff. Um, you know, anything you can bring back to where you're working, whether it's just a different technique or how to work cleaner or more organized. Um, I did stage at McCready's um, in 2009. Um, it was like one of the hardest, probably the hardest stage I ever had. It was like really eye-opening, um, a little discouraging. It's just like, I didn't feel like anything went right. Um, fast forward a few years. Why, why do you feel that um, way? What, what about it didn't go right? Oh, uh, it was just a lot of things I had never done before. I was pretty young, two years out of culinary school at this point. You know, maybe one, maybe it was one year, I can't remember. And Sean was doing a shoot for Art Culinaire. He had all this stuff to prep. And they're just like, you know, here's a prep list. Make a make a bay tea and we're going to froth it up or something. I didn't, you know, or a laurel tea. I didn't know what laurel was. I'm like, what's the laurel? Where, where's the laurel? Where's the laurel? And one of the guys I got bathed, bathed. Uh -huh. So I get that. And then uh, they just olive oil pudding, which only Jeremiah uh, Langern, who was the CDC when I ended up there had made and he was off that day um so i'm like keep messing up the recipe keep having to ask sean about it and it, you know it's just like fourth third or fourth time it's just like i felt completely defeated at that point i couldn't make this recipe and i felt like i was following it exact but come to find out i was given the wrong eggs for it so it was never going to work i'd also never put ice and water glucose together so you have to melt the ice malt first and add the glucose. So it was like, you know, Sean's like, oh, yeah, I forgot. We got to do this. <laughs> he wasn't like, he was fine about it, but I was like, just, you know, I mean, I did it four times. I had to come ask him. So um, it's kind of like a wake up call. Hey, so is that humbling? 100%. Leaving there and you're like, okay, what did you? I could feel the feeling of just discouragement walking out of that place. It's, I could feel it in your voice as you're telling the story. Like it was just a God. It was, and it's almost like you want to do it so well. You want to do it right, but I was trying so hard. I didn't know. Yeah. Oh, I kind I of froze that for a second there. 
Yeah. Brian, I can hear the background. I can't hear you. There you go. Can you hear me now? Well, yeah, yeah, I can hear you now. Perfect. Um, so after I that, at a hotel, you know, you save up PTO and stick time. So I took a month to stage in New York. Um, I staged at a restaurant called Boulay. Uh, so David Boulay down in Tribeca for three weeks. Um, and then a restaurant called uh, Maria. It's over off Central Park. Um, both Michelin starred. I want, uh, you know, I've always wanted a Michelin star. I like just, you know, I want to get back to New York, work at a Michelin starred restaurant. Really wanted to work at Boulay, but like I had a room in Williamsburg with a buddy of mine. And kind of after like probably the only smart financial thing I've ever done, just go through in my head, be like, all right, I'm gonna get paid this. You know, after everything, I was like, I'm not gonna have any money left for food or sell <laughs> Um, so I ended up coming back after that month and like two days later, Jeremiah posted and McCready's both tweeted that they were hiring. So I was like, Hey, can I go stodge at McCready's? Uh, and my chef's like, you're just gone for a month. And he's like, if I let you go, you better come back and say that you got, you have a job offer. I said, all right. Uh, so I went and stodge again for two days and Jeremiah offered me a job with Chef Carty. Uh, so I came back and um, finished out a few, you know, I had a couple months, finished out and moved, November 2011, moved to Charleston. So how was that going back to the place that you left so frustrated? Um, it was a little nerve wracking, you know, like, uh, I, it's still one of the best meals I've ever had. I think it was one of the most underrated restaurants. Uh, it was definitely the hardest kitchen I ever worked in. Um, and that's, you know, even when I was seeing what was happening, you know, up in New York. Um, did you work with Ben Norton at all? I didn't. I know. I didn't know. Okay. Wasn't sure. What brought you to Nashville? So, you know, I've been working there, McCready's 2011 to 2013. Sean's talking about opening a second restaurant around like the end of 2012 and there was not really a chance for me to move up any time to do with a step in the Crady's because there were so many guys ahead of me. Um, and I didn't love, I love visiting Charleston. I love it as a city, but I didn't like living there. So um, I was like, hey, you know, I'd like to be considered for a sous chef at Husk if, if you haven't hired anybody yet. Um, so I ended up moving up here in 2013. Uh, to help open, I moved here April 2013. I think we opened in May, um, and then at some point in the next year and a half or so, I took over as chef de cuisine. Um, what was that like? Because Husk was—I remember when Husk opened. I think it was. Uh, you said it was 2005. I think it was 2005, right? 2000. Plus Charles. 2012. 13. 13. Okay, sorry. I'm trying to remember because I remember when it opened and it was such a big deal because Nashville was in a really, I think Nashville for me, I lived here for 33 years. We knew here locally that we were growing and we were doing great things. But when Husk came to Nashville, that was, that was us stamping our ticket as, hey, look, we're a real foodie town. We're a town that can draw people. Like Sean Brock is coming back home and bringing Husk to Nashville. We have a solidified celebrity chef independently you know owned and operated restaurant that's doing it well 
Did you feel that when you got here? Were you were you brought in kind of like a celebrity? Um, well, we knew there was a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure with uh, people expecting best new restaurant, James Beard Awards, kind of all that, you know. Um, and and we tried to run it the same way we ran McCrady's. So the there's just never it's never like. Nothing was ever okay if it wasn't right. And when you yeah. do it covers, it's, um, it's a lot. So, yeah, I mean, the, uh, the discipline, um, attention to detail, all that stuff was, was always highly. How do you drive that culture? How do you lead that culture? Because I'm curious, <laughs> especially today. Like, I mean, is it is it so intense? Is there lots of screaming is it about the hiring? Is it about a pedigree of people that work there? But how do you maintain that level of perfection over and over, day in, day out, for that many covers? I think it's, well, that was a lot of, a lot of, one of the main things I learned there in that position, right? Uh, I think, you know, me kind of moving up into that role, um, you know, I've worked in some kinds of techniques where, you know, people yell at you and stuff. I mean, no one ever threw anything. Actually, no, one ever, no one ever threw anything. Um, but I was so used to playing football for so long, just that intensity um, and the way, like, Brady's was run. And, you know, it was, it was an intense kitchen. Um, I wouldn't, I don't know if there's necessarily screaming, but it was definitely that, um, intense aggressive uh like you you had you know like part of it was even if everybody everything was going right you had to find something you had to start nitpicking to keep the energy up or else people would start kind of slapping um but, you know, i learned everybody has to be managed differently everybody does yeah uh, what what do you think the motivation is there is the motivation to provide an amazing meal for people that they're going to take pictures of. And oh, like, how is that level of perfection? Is it about feeding a community of people? Like what is the motivation for an individual chef at that level? Is it, is it an award? Is it a James Beard award? Is it a 50 best restaurant? Like I what think, is it? Well, I think back then it was like, you know, about trying to get those awards. And in order to do that, you have to try to serve people the best meal that they can have. You know, you're really, it's all for Sean for running this, you know, like if something doesn't go right, it's his name at the end of the day. Yeah. How intense is he to work with? I mean, is he there actively like showing everybody this is what it has to be done? Because I just... I imagine um, he commands a level of respect. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you know, he, he had a lot going on when we first opened Husky. We were filming uh, Mind of a Chef every morning. We film Mind of a Chef, and then we have to rearrange the kitchen time to try to get it set up for dinner service. Mm -hmm. um, so that was hectic. And then he started, you know, he opened an arrow. He started, so he was being pulled in so many different directions. That uh, at first he was there a lot. Um, but then, you know, you got all this other stuff going on. Where it's, you know, you can't be there. And I think, you know, looking back now, like, he trusted me enough to 
keep it going, to, to run it at the level um, that he expected. So, when you when you see Sean Brock in that state, right? You're a sous chef. You're you're coming up through the ranks. You're hustling. You're doing everything. You're putting every ounce of energy, the pressure, all of this stuff. When you see a guy like Sean Brock filming in the morning and going through all this. Does that is there any part of you that says I want to do that one day? I want to be the guy in my restaurant that's filming in the morning and all these people. Does that is that inspiring to you, or does that turn you off for that sort of thing? Or are you are you just kind of indifferent? More the success that you see that that's inspiring. Like I don't want to, I don't want that much going on. It's a, it's already a you know it seems very stressful enough for it to seem like. I have to do all that stuff like watching him go through you know um i don't know if it's something necessarily yeah because i can imagine that's a that's a lot you know eventually like you want to have the time off but i think now it's like the great thing about capricity is like i can still be so hands-on which at husky are separated you know like it's it's a little different because it's so busy you're plating everything on the past but you're separated by you know, if I wanted to get back there and touch something or show somebody something, I had to walk all the way down, around the line, and come back down. You know, it wasn't like I could just be there with everything. Um, like I said here, you know, because not in this, because I can quickly just touch something somebody's doing over there, six feet away. It's a little more control. Yeah. What is the what's the number one takeaway you had from working at Husk? Like, what's the thing that you leave there and you're like, I will never forget this thing that I learned? Well, I think I'm still learning it, but it just, man, you know, man, um, from that, from a hospital. Did you as say as far as from Sean, I, I learned, uh, sorry. Did you, no, I did. You, you, you kind of froze for a second there. Uh, no, I was saying the thing I learned from hospital was just like, not everybody's like I was saying earlier. Manage the same. Yeah, you got to manage right. people, not a yeah. Right, and as as it change, you know, as the industry changes, I'm always going to be intense. I can't turn it off. You know, I can't help that. But I think I've calmed down a lot, and I'm, you know, I have a high expectation. A lot of the guys that work for me now have worked for me at Husk and Bastion. You know. Um, so they know what I expect. So I get frustrated when they when I when they don't do what I know they do. That's what frustrates me. When people when they don't work to their fullest potential. Right. Yeah. And if it's something you don't understand, that's different. You can you know like somebody's not getting something. You can show them one, two, three times. You, you can't figure it out. You got to figure out like where's the disconnect here. Like I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Is this not? I don't do anything crazy, you know. I don't, I don't use a bunch of hydrocolloids or anything. We're just cooking food. Yeah. We're trying to make it. Uh, but I think it's that I can see now with these guys, it's more like nobody wants to be yelled at. I understand that. Um, but I can see that they know that I'm disappointed. Now, yeah. more than then. Um, like I said, everybody, everybody reacts differently. Some people need every now and then to like for it to click all right uh, you know like me yeah. i was gonna well, say 
I'll give my dad. I got spanked three times as a kid. Third time, I said, "All right, I'm not getting spanked ever again. I'm going to let you." So you were able to learn from lessons and learn that discipline. I don't want to skip over your time at Bastion because I know that um, it was probably very formative as well. And you are coming into your own as a leader. But I do want to get into the catbird seat. And I want to talk about the pandemic, what it was like, how you were hired, and then kind of get into some of that. So were you in the middle of the pandemic, were you hired as the executive chef of the catbird seat during this quarantine? When when did that happen and how did they offer it to you or did you apply for it? How did that happen? Um, well, Josh, you know, Josh is kind of like a mentor to me, so we keep in touch a lot. Um, and we had just been chatting about me wanting to come back to Nashville eventually. Um, and then, you know, Max um, and Josh and I kind of had a call the plan was to eventually come back and uh, take over. Because you were in Atlanta at cold, cold beer. Cold beer. I wanted to give Kevin two years. Um, the previous chef, you know, only a year. And, um, and then, you know, March 17th. Was it March 17th? March, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day. You know, I was furloughed. Uh, everything shut down and kind of the rest is history. But... When we continued to keep kind of chatting over the next few months, um, there was going to be some kind of restructuring down in Atlanta. Uh, and, you know, it wasn't Kevin's fault, but it wasn't going to be able to be the same that it was when I moved down there and I moved down before. Um, when this became available, there was a page that the move a little sooner. So when we reopen, hopefully in the summertime, you know, you can just take over that. So that's kind of, you know, after talking to Kevin and my wife, everybody kind of like. I, I remember when you were announced because my Facebook and Instagram feed was flooded with congratulations to you. Because I think we know all of the same people and yeah. everybody was so stoked to have you take that over. Like it was just. I was, I imagined you must have felt like, holy shit, like this many people are this excited about it. It was every, I mean, every single person I knew from strategic or that had gone to Husk or that were unrelated, like my friends that are at Peninsula, they were so pumped to have you, like everybody was so stoked for you. Yeah, it was, it was a good feeling. I mean, I, you know, felt like we left friends and family behind, you know, mm -hmm. even though my wife had family down there and I was mm -hmm. close to my parents. Um, but I just, just kind of missed Nashville and miss everybody. And I feel like, you know, the thing I loved about Nashville when I first moved here is that it seemed like everybody was really supportive of each other. Unlike Charleston, mm -hmm. um, all the people like, you know, musicians, maybe somebody that played with this guy who's now famous, still supports him and entrepreneurs tattoo artists, restaurants, you know, like whatever it is, everybody was so supportive and it had it has its little groups, but um, I never felt like part of like a friend group or family except for the people I was working with in Charleston. And I think that's kind of, I, I don't know, when I moved here, I was, this is the first place I've ever lived where if I go on vacation for a couple of days, like I can't wait to get back home. You know? Wow. And so, I don't know, it was, it was really nice. 
come back and to kind of see the reception. Mm-hmm. But it was also nerve-wracking because I knew what was expected. Yeah. So that's a that's a great segue on expectation. You're the fifth show. Well, there's been, I think, you, you started off Josh Habiger and Eric Anderson 10 years ago. And I want to talk about your 10-year dinner. Um, and then goes to Trevor, Eric Poli, and then Will and Liz. And then it's you coming in. Do you, are there ghosts? Do you feel like you have complete autonomy to do whatever you want? And I love that. But like you coming in, how, what is that pressure like? Are people expecting one of these other chefs' food? And how do you differentiate yourself? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? This, uh, it's hard to not look back at what everybody else has done and say, like, okay, this, you know, my, my style of food is different. It's vastly different than what we're doing. And I think they were so much different than what Ryan was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like a little scary, like people that were going and having great meals with them, like, it's not going to be anything similar to what they were having. Um, so you kind of, like, in the back of your mind, like, you know, are people going to enjoy the food? Um, you know, the way I build a lot of my dishes is I don't trust the diner to eat it properly with like, you know, dots and all this random stuff all around. So I build every, I layer everything. So the guest has to be the way I want them to. Unless it's like pick this up and drag Dip it. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it definitely looks different than I feel like a lot. So it's more functional. Yeah, it's just more about well, how it tastes. Mm-hmm. I don't want a dish that looks like somebody like, threw up on the plate or, you know, threw a bunch of trash on it, but I don't, I don't trust the diner to eat it properly. I don't feel it certain. So when you have complete autonomy and you're creating these menus, where do you get inspiration? Because you've got to be changing them. And nobody, you know, I think so many people forget that or that they don't understand when you don't have a corporate chef or somebody else who's telling you what to do, you're kind of flying solo and you have to ideate all these things and create all of these things. So is there a process that you have? Like, how do you gain inspiration for the menus? Um, the, the produce, the product. You know, we're, we're, I don't want to say hyper seasonal, but we do four big seasonal changes. And then throughout each season, the menu is going to change based on what's available. Um, I try to support as locally as possible and then like slowly branch out, uh, you know, I think the furthest thing we're using right now is like lamb from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, but lamb's just so hard to, like local lamb's been very hard to uh, So yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, big time what's available, how it tastes. Uh, you know, when we first came back, there was a lot of farmers that just had so much produce. They're just like, can you take it? Can you take it? Can you take it? So like, let's just take as much as we can and then we'll figure out what to do with it. So whether it's making a vinegar or miso or you know, juicing it and fermenting it, um, doing all these things, which uh, you know people have been doing for years, but just trying to like not waste any of this product and support these guys who, you know, also weren't getting paid for however many months. Mm-hmm. That's that kind of slowly helped develop some of the flavor profiles that we use in all of our dishes. 
just based so on you at the Keppard seat. I don't know the actual. Is there is there a time frame? Did they say <clears throat> we want you to come Keppard seat and you have two years, or was it three years? Because I know it's kind of a you're you're there, you do it for a while, and then you do something different. Is is that even a thing? I don't know. Usually two years. Um, you know, we'll see with that first year being kind of weird. Um, yeah. yeah, it was a weird first year. Yeah. How do you think your cuisine has evolved since that first year? I mean, just when you coming in, there's so much unknown. There, like I said, there's these ghosts, and you're trying to figure everything out. The food that you're doing then versus probably a confidence level, I'll bet you have now of walking in. You know where every single thing is. This is your kitchen. Everything in there is very intentional. Yeah. Has it evolved? And do you continue to see it? Like, where do you see yourself in a year or five years? Do you know yet? Um, I have a plan of what I would like to do, whether or not that's going to happen. That's all up in the air now. But, uh, yeah, I think obviously confidence is one thing, you know, you slowly gain part of, I'll just kind of treat this as reopening a restaurant. The space was what it was. We made some changes. This is the idea I have coming in, but every restaurant I've ever opened, it's always like a pivot point. The restaurant like its own being it's gonna it's gonna become what it wants to become you may think like i'm only gonna do 20 covers a night and you end up doing 60 and you gotta figure out you know you have to be able to adapt so um i don't have any good examples of what like i thought was going to be different when opening but i think i've through that just kind of realize what we can and can't get away with and that has kind of helped also um kind of inspire or so what push what forward. can you get it what can you get away with what can't you get away with oh i don't, I don't know <laughs> but just i mean there, there's not a lot of space so there's only so much you can do so um <laughs> I mean, I wish I had a big, giant hearth that I could cook in, but I have a little, a little Japanese grill that, you know, will set off so much smoke if I grill. You know, yeah, grill a lot, but I wish I could grill way more. Um, you know, there's we're limited on space for dehydrators. Or, you know, it's just like you know, you're just kind of making making it work with with what you have, and not saying that I would have a million little stencils of little things um because it's not really what i do but you know it's it's kind of helped me all of that has helped me focus more on trying to get the flavors in the dishes if that makes sense worried about all these all these little garnishes and and all this stuff because i'm like i don't even know where i would try to dry this stuff so um yeah just focusing like so it's forced me to focus on the ingredient, on the flavor. And I think I'm still figuring out like exactly what my cuisine is, but I think, you know, people that have come in for, we have people that come in every, every menu change have seen it. So you know that, what that is. I don't know. I want to be so in that just, side bracket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. Right. <laughs> so you just, we just celebrated the 10 year anniversary of the catbird seat and Eric Anderson came in, I think, from San Francisco, right? He's still in San Francisco? Uh, Napa Valley, north of Napa oh, Valley. Okay. 
came in from the West Coast and you had Josh Hobbiger in there cooking for two nights. What was it like having the original chefs from the catbird seat for, you know, a couple nights to cook? And and was it like getting the band back together where you do get, did you guys create a very own special menu? And was it fun to share that space or how, how, just how was that whole experience for you? Oh, it was good. It was stressful. Um, kind of leading up to it, like, you know, trying to make sure that the tour filling and everything was like right for Eric. We had everything, you know, like I didn't want it to be messed up, but you know, he's trusting me to make sure that the right people. Uh, but after like, you know, that first turn, that first night, that's kind of, that's the hard part. And it's with every guest that we ever have. The first turn is just like, everybody's trying to figure it out because they're not used to cooking here and, Timing's different. I always do completely new dishes. So I don't really know what I'm doing. Like when we cooked with Johnny Sparrow, I was like still like three quarters through the meal trying to figure out how I really wanted to cook this piece of fish, you know, <laughs> this dish. Um, which is fun, but it's also like stressful. But when you figure it out, it's like So yeah, it was it was nice. Like I haven't worked with Josh since. So it was fun to work with him again. Um I haven't seen Eric in a long time, so getting him here with us was was awesome. And then just it was pretty much all friends, friends, family, regulars of one of us at some point in our career was was eating those two nights. It sold out so quick. Yeah, I know. I tried to buy tickets the next morning. It went on sale at like midnight, and at like five a.m., I got up and I was like, "Oh." I got to buy tickets and they were, go- I went on the waiting list, but I never got a call. Nobody said that. I don't think anybody canceled. Insane. Yeah. So uh, it was fun. That's me. What do you do? Like, so you have two small children. What do you do for fun? Like when you're not working? Cause this is a very intense. And I think that, I don't think people understand the emotional toll that a position that you have takes because you're putting so much creativity so much of your mind, body, and energy into that. Do you have stuff left when you get home? Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, people don't understand. Like, if you like, if you don't like something or dislike something, they don't understand that we've been here for fourteen hours creating that, trying to get them. But um, I don't know. It's uh, Sorry, I got distracted. It's all right. Um, you know, I would say Wednesday through Saturday, I average probably four and a half hours of sleep. So it's uh, it takes a lot to, to get up with the kid at 6 a.m. When you get home and get in bed at 2.30. And then, you know, to try to go to the gym, because that actually, believe it or not, will help me have energy later in the day get through the day but you just know it's this this cycle and you you know there are weeks like last week and the week before trying to get everything ready for this make sure i was sourcing everything where it just like feel like come sunday i just can't think about you know my brain feels fried it feels like someone's got my head in like a vice just crushing it so to kind of release that um i try to do watercolor painting really I don't have as much time. The kids are out of daycare right now because of COVID. So, um, 
you know, it, it's hard to, I try to paint once a week, just have that release. Cause otherwise my brain will start thinking, like, you know, I try not to, if I start thinking about food, like on the way home, I'll be up till I can't fall asleep with my brain. So I learned oh, a lot yeah. not to read cookbooks when I get home from work or, uh, you know, try to like do, cause I used to keep a notebook by the bed before I had like a iPhone or just like right now. You know. Um, so yeah, I can't, I can never turn it's creating at some point, but it's hard cause it, it's also like sometimes like my brain needs to shut down. I, don't, I can't, I can't. Shut Do you meditate? No, I think for me, my meditation is going to the gym each morning. Yeah. What part yeah. of town do you live in? I'm in Spring Hill. So then I got, you know, it's about 35 minutes drive <laughs> in and out. You're in Spring Hill. Yeah. So my wife teaches down there. Okay. Yeah. I used to live in Spring Hill. My wife and I bought our first house. And it's funny because I was trying to think about when Husk opened because we lived in our house for many years. And when we had our first kid, we moved back into our house in Spring Hill and it was 2013. Uh, so that's why I was like 2012. It was 2012 or 13. I remember right when Husk opened. Yeah, that's a that's a heck of a drive. Well, they've opened up the interstate now, so it's a little easier. Yeah, it's not bad. That Main Street will jam you up, though. Yeah, I, but luckily my gym's right off Saturn Parkway. So back road, hit the gym, jump on the interstate. Nice. But yeah, I mean the gym is like that's the only alone time I get besides driving. It's like the, it's the only time I have to myself. Um, you know, you know. Complaining, but no, know, I, dude, it's days I'm home with kids, somebody bails me out. Like Mondays, <clears throat> my wife gets home from work, I go to the gym. Saturday, she's all day stuck with them. I say stuck, but you know what I mean? Like it wears you out. Like it's not exhausting. Stop. She's crawling. She's walking. Everything's in her mouth. She's. Mm -hmm. My son was like pretty curious. Like not like that. Like he. I don't think I, he ever her. She's like, I feel like you're the first chef that works in like a, a name Nashville restaurant that does not live in East Nashville or Germantown. Honestly, <laughs> I live in Franklin. And so like, I'm with you, but like, I feel like everybody's like East Nashville, Germantown, East Nashville. Germantown. You threw me off and you said spring Hill. I was like, Oh, look at this. Cause you, you were expecting East Nashville or Germantown. Uh, I was. <laughs> No, it's, it's nice because, like, every single house on our street, maybe even in our neighborhood, has at least one kid. Mm -hmm. Except one, and it's the grandparents, and their kids live in Franklin. And right. They, they live there, like, half a year. So we wanted, like, to kind of grow up in a quiet neighborhood with, with kids that they could grow up with. Mm -hmm. And she's, and still, like, she's in Williamson County, so. Yeah. And that's what's just great. It probably pays a little better. Um yeah. Well, this is awesome, man. Um, tell me something. Do you have uh, holiday traditions? Um, Anything that's unique to what you guys do every year? To, yeah, I know you're you're probably forming them right now. Family, well, yeah. So it's funny because my son, like, he likes he's like been singing Christmas songs and stuff. But I'm like, hey, you want to put up the Christmas tree? No. Okay. All right. <laughs> so Thanksgiving night, we usually put up the Christmas tree. Thanksgiving morning, I like to. Uh, make these like uh, old Danish pastries, either throat snapper or tuberkies. Um, it's just puff pastry with like almond paste, sesame and poppy seed. So I'll probably do that tomorrow and then I'll eat it before or after I'll go to the gym because I missed out the last couple of days. So 
I have to tomorrow. <laughs> I'm be eating some food. Now, do you cook Thanksgiving dinner for everybody? I'm only making my Mima's or my great grandma's uh, potato casserole, which I don't even have a recipe for anymore. I'm just going to wing it, but I know what all was put in it. Um, sure, it'll be good. Yeah, mine's going to have a little more sour cream and mayonnaise in it. Uh, and then I like I like to make my own cranberry relish. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, well, you know, that's all I'm doing. Some chefs are like, no, I don't cook when I'm at home. I do that all the time. My wife cooks. I didn't know like if it's a no, there's one day a year we're closed on Thanksgiving and that's the day where food counts. I do a big spread and then I was going to try and start driving around house to house in Spring Hill tomorrow and find out where that is. Yeah. I bet that would be amazing. No, I'm not cooking. Yeah, no, no. Taking my day off. I'll probably get suckered into helping. I know how it goes. Like, oh, yes. this, and then something's not going right and you jump in and you end up making five of the dishes but. well i have a tradition of working every thanksgiving because uh i've we have two restaurants me and jen both work for mayor bowl in brentwood um does we have a thousand covers we do on thanksgiving day mm-hmm. and it's the same people almost every single year and it is the most amazing day to feed people thanksgiving dinner and they show up and they're just they're super nice, and it's the same people here. It's their tradition, and it's pretty cool that people allow us that family memory, like that they—that's what they do for their family to come to that restaurant, and they take it seriously. Uh, we take it very seriously that they—they they trust us with with that special family moment, and uh, it's a lot of fun to see families get together and to be able to watch that happen all day long while your hair on fire in the weeds, yeah, just going to town. Uh, so it's a lot of fun, for mm-hmm. sure. I haven't had a Thanksgiving like that since I worked at the hotel, thankfully. They're intense. It's a thing. It's very <laughs> we're closed the next day. There so, you go. yeah, recovery day. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're actually taking a nice little break here. I think the staff has earned it. They've worked super hard. and mm-hmm. Just, like, can't say how proud I am of, like, just all the... Mm-hmm i've had from them and like the faith they put in me and trust and but we're gonna take like we, we usually close like bastion does like two weeks out of the year but we're gonna close uh, tomorrow until next wednesday a nice little now, just let people know this is the day we're recording this the day before thanksgiving this is going to come out on november 29th okay so he's saying that that he's closed tomorrow thanksgiving in the yeah. next week Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. There you go. I want people to hear this and go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You're not, you're not close. I got a reservation that day. Well, good, man. Um, Thank you so much for coming on the show. I, I, did we miss anything? What do we, I want, I want to ask about you. I have to ask something and you guys are going to hate this question and I'm sorry, but it is what it is. So I told you, I like love reality TV. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. So Southern charm films in Charleston. So I just have to know if you'd met or been to the restaurants that Leva, Leva, Leva Bonaparte owns, which is like uh, Bourbon and Bubbles and what else? Uh, Republic. Have you been to those? No. no. They opened after I left. Okay. Yeah. I mean, apparently they're like a big deal, but oh, really? no yeah. one I've met, nobody I've talked to from Charleston has been there. So I'm like, is, are Here's they still the, it for the show? Well, thing is probably like. If nobody from Charleston's going there, yeah, it's probably not the spot you want to go to. But also, I was a line cook. 
Well, no, I still want to go. I want, I don't care if any of you, <laughs> I'm like, no, I want to meet them all. Yeah. Anyway, that, I knew, yeah. I don't even know what that is. Okay. Well, Sorry. I'll let you know. You Eventually, yeah, I don't either. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I, you, I, I don't. Else and I'll give you a list of places you should try before this. Okay. Well, I want that list and then I will report back what her restaurants are like. Cause there's, there's just no chance. I can't not go and try to meet the people I'd name them, but you don't care. Um, but I well, love it. So my wife and I, we love the bachelor, uh, franchise. We did, we're kind of growing out of it. We watched it for years and years, appointment television for my wife and I kind of a guilty pleasure sort of thing. Just the drama is amazing. Yeah. Do you have any guilty pleasures that you would announce on the show? Hell's kitchen. Love it. It's so good. I would have worked. It's funny. Cause I got a message from like a casting person trying to get me on. I was like, no offense at this point in my career. I don't think I'm ready to uh, come on the show. But, uh, you know, if you had reached out to me when he opened uh, Gordon Ramsay mm-hmm. years ago, I probably would have would have moved over to Pond. And I would have worked for him back then because I was young enough to still take the ball if he was then. Yeah. Now I wouldn't. I just wouldn't. Want but I do want to meet him. Like, that's one chef. I don't know. I, I just. I don't know. I would have worked for him back then and, and taken it to work at a three star like that. Yeah. He's, he, I love him. Like he's one I really the thing about him is like, it's nothing personal during service. Like you mess mm-hmm. up, but after service, I think he, I think he truly cares about his yeah. staff and, and well, humanity and people. Like it's not, it's not a cover up, you know, like I think he truly does care about people. Yeah. And he really does walk the walk. Like he's, he really will not ask you to make something he can't make himself or, do himself, which I think is very important in celebrity chefdom, like to have that kind of respect from other people in the industry. Yeah. I love Bar Rescue. I'll say it. Bar Rescue. I don't think I've seen that. John Taffer. John Taffer. He goes into these bars where everybody, like the owners and the bartenders are all drunk, just doing stupid shit. And they're like, we don't know why we're broke. Yeah. And then he, and he, it's, it's pretty self-apparent. Yeah. He's like, (laughs) look in the mirror. And you're like, oh shit. This is a pretty good show. Pretty good episodes. These okay, are the, yeah. Our version of Kitchen Nightmares. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Chef, one of the things, uh, Jen, Jen, did you have any rapid fire questions for him? I do have a few. Okay. You want to do a quick rapid fire with Jen? All right. What you got? Okay. So just first, none of these are Bravo related. Um, so just first go. Also, like, I feel like my second release of this uh, Misenex I took just kicked in. So we'll see how this goes. Okay. Yeah, good. <laughs> Um, okay, so your favorite restaurant right now that is not obviously your own? Locust. Okay. Um, most underrated restaurant in Nashville right now? Oh, gosh. Um, can I be honest with you? Mm-hmm. My wife and I have only eaten at Locust and Audrey in the last year and, year and a half. Okay, that's fair. Um, you have a nine-month-old? I'm, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I've been nowhere. Um, okay. So in the hot chicken kingdom, are you princes, hottie bees or Boltons? 400 degrees. Okay. All right. And then I know you haven't been out a lot, but I feel like because you're at Capbird, a lot of these will come to you. So the best pop-up right now. Mm. <clears throat> I have not had any of them, believe it or not, but I hear really? I went by Bastion the other night. On the way to a concert. Kisser? Kisser was, that place was bumping. Yeah. 
And I never we did that at the Patterson house. It was good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I haven't had anybody's. There's so many pop-ups. There's so many. Yeah. Oh, right. I can't keep up. So I I don't know if I'll ever make it all. <laughs> and well, that was it. Yeah, now that they're eating food, now that mine are starting to eat food, I'm like, oh, we can like go places now. Like that's so exciting. It's a thing. Yeah. My son, he's so picky. Mm. It's hard. He'll grow out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Chef, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. I've it's been a pleasure uh getting to know you a little bit. Thank you for telling us about your story and and some of the the feelings you've had throughout all of this and the vulnerability, I really it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun for me. Yeah. And um, I hope that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. The last thing that we do on this show, and I'm I like to I throw people off here. This is what I do, is I let you take us out, take us out. Jerry's final thought style. Um, you get to say whatever you want for as long as you want. You're talking to the Nashville community uh, restaurant people, and I'm going to make the whole screen just you alone, and um, go. Uh, Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, Hope everybody has a happy holidays, Uh, kind of safe end to the year. Uh, The only thing I could say is support the local restaurant scene. Uh, Don't be an asshole. To anybody who works in them, they work very hard for the holidays. Um, and uh, if you're able to, I would find a charity to support this year. It's been a tough year for everyone. That's all I got. Perfect. Thank you. Thank yeah. you so much. Um, this is coming out on the tomorrow. I'm going to piggyback what you just now said. Tomorrow is Giving Tuesday. So we love uh, Big Table Nashville, the Giving Kitchen, core uh, children of restaurant employees, and La Dame de Scaffier all need your support. They're all supporting people in Nashville in our industry uh, who need help. So if you know people um, who work in restaurants who need help, contact one of those people. They'd be happy to help you. But tomorrow's Giving Tuesday, and we'd love for you to do to give as much as you possibly can. If you don't know how to do that and you just want to Venmo five bucks at Nashville RR is our Venmo and just put in the subject line where you want it donated and I'll make sure that it gets 100% directly to them. Um, Thank you, Chef, once again. Have a wonderful holiday and um, look forward to seeing you at the Catbird Seat. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks. Thanks, man. Big thank you to Chef Brian Baxter from the Catbird Seat. You can make reservations on... To go to the Catbird Seat at thecatbirdseat.com. And um, once again, Giving Tuesday is tomorrow. Go out there and help somebody who needs help. We hope that you guys are being safe. We um, ask you, please go get vaccinated to get your booster shot. And uh, we love you guys. Bye.